Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. This time from one market in San Francisco. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Even as stocks continue to power higher, Dow gaining nine points today, S&P advancing 0.13%. NASDAQ climbing 0.33%. We keep hearing obituaries for this market. So many people want to declare this bull dead. But I often wonder where the next coroner's inquest will come from. Will the alleged cause of death be something natural, like old age? Or the fact that stocks simply went up too far too fast, given the fundamentals? Will it be slaughtered by disappointment out of Washington? Or by the scourge of higher interest rates? Or just plain old froth? Or maybe, just maybe, the grim reapers being held at bay by a series of positive events that are much more closely tied to the nature of how companies are doing, hence the continued sense on both Wall Street and Main Street that there's value in them, their hills, or at least value in them, their prices. Events like takeovers and mergers, for example, that's what drove, drove today's market. Just look at Broadcom's $105 billion hostile attempt to acquire a fellow semiconductor company, Qualcomm, which has sent shockwaves through the whole tech sector. The thing about technology is that many skeptics just don't understand how the industry has gotten so much bigger, which means these companies are a lot more valuable to each other than you might think. Certainly more valuable than where the stocks are trading now. Or consider this potential tie-up between Disney and Fox, a story that David Faber broke earlier today, where Disney would be buying the non-sports, non-news part of the business, creating an unprecedented level of scale that would make them the king of the entertainment forest. Just like Broadcom trying to buy Qualcomm, a Disney-Fox deal would make it so there would be less concentration on one product, in this case, ESPN, and more than the entire panoply of entertainment assets. Put simply, Fox is worth more to Disney than to Wall Street. But you, the shareholders, the ultimate winners. Now, unlike Broadcom-Qualcomm, these Disney-Fox talks seem to be dead for the moment. But the fact that both stocks rallied on what might just end up being a trial balloon is very bullish for both entities. Now, Broadcom's bid for Qualcomm is a total bombshell because it's huge and it's hostile. I mean, we aren't used to seeing hostile takeover bids in technology. There's only been a handful of them. Broadcom CEO Hock Tan, who's one of the most acquisitive chief executives in any industry, has transformed his company into a semiconductor titan with chips that are essential to both Apple and Samsung. The only reason we don't think of Broadcom as being a very important player in the semi-market food chain is because Apple suppliers play by the same rules as Fight Club, meaning the first rule of being an Apple supplier is that you don't talk about being an Apple supplier. But Broadcom has more content in the iPhone than any other company on Earth. Meanwhile, Qualcomm has tons of intellectual property, and you can easily argue that neither the iPhone nor any other smartphone could exist without their technology. However, Apple's currently at war with Qualcomm over some of their patents, which has put a lid on that stock, as money managers recognize that nothing good can come from fighting with your largest customer, which also must be the largest company in the world. So Qualcomm's got a problem. 
But Broadcom's Tan has always been viewed as someone who has a terrific relationship with his customers, which is why his largely cash and some stock bid for Qualcomm hasn't put much pressure on his share price. As a matter of fact, the stock's running. Granted, the odds of this deal actually being completed seem pretty long. Qualcomm's stock has been held back by its squabble with Apple. Its board of directors knows that the share price will probably be worth more than where it's currently trading, and they don't want to give the company away. However, I'd argue that if Apple prevails in court against Qualcomm, and which is, by the way, a very distinct possibility, the shareholders would be more than willing to tender to anything that Broadcom offers. Plus, there are a couple of new directors on Qualcomm's board, including Mark McLaughlin. He's the CEO of Palo Alto Networks and a frequent guest on Mad Money, who might be more amenable to selling than the entrenched management. Open-minded fella. Let's step away from handicapping the deal, though, and think more about the reasons behind it, because it has to do with a much bigger thing than just what Broadcom might be doing with Qualcomm. Put simply, as many other industries, we have too many semiconductor companies, and they're competing for too little business. But if you can combine companies, you end up saving money while building up more bargaining power with your customers. And that's a win. Same goes for Disney Fox. Too many entertainment companies fighting for that same consumer. Here's the thing. Many doubters just don't get it. The people telling you that this market's done for are only considering the earnings estimates. They never are looking at takeover values because they haven't been able to gauge the strategic worth of one semiconductor company to another or one entertainment company to another. Meanwhile, tech has become a heck of a lot more just just cell phones and personal computers. These days, semis go into all sorts of industrial applications like autos and planes that many people never even think about. Again, though, both of these potential deals show you the worth of these chip makers beyond simply what we're willing to pay for their earnings per share and the worth of entertainment beyond what we're paying versus uh, earnings per share. Analysts have earnings models. Hawk Tan, for instance, has franchise models, and that's why he wants to buy Qualcomm. Maybe Disney has franchise models, and that's why they covet Fox. It's ironic, but the Qualcomm and Disney talks, they're so huge that they overshadowed another combination in the semiconductor land. Marvell's technology potential tie-up with Cavium. Again, there's necessity here. Marvell's way too beholden to the disk drive industry. Cavium's about intelligent networking. You combine the two, and the whole will end up being worth more than the sum of the parts. The whole idea here is for Marvell to change how it's perceived by Wall Street, to transform itself from a disk drive play, we hate those, into an integrated technology company. Again, defensive, but loved by Wall Street, which for the most part has hated the two companies before this news. It matters, people. Even though it's smaller, it matters because it shows you the panoply of what's going on out there. Now, there are many people who are saying the successful mergers are springing up everywhere. I'm one of them. But I also recognize there can be failures. On Friday... We thought that there could be a deal between Sprint and T-Mobile. But then Sprint's owner put the kibosh on the transaction, and that brought both stocks down badly. Shows you can't speculate on this stuff. I think T-Mobile stock, though, now that it's down is a buy. And it's even a buy on an earnings basis. But I think I'm an outlier here, and that's why the stock's been crushed. Then again, I'm hearing plenty of talk of potential consolidation in the oil patch. Now that the price of crude is at a two-year high, perhaps because of turmoil in Saudi Arabia. Just like the semi-group, just like the entertainment group, there are way too many oil companies. And the only way they can jump above these levels is to merge, something the bears may not be able to imagine, but something that hasn't happened yet. Here's the bottom line. The skeptics want to judge stocks based on their price-to-earnings multiples, which seem to get more expensive by the day. But when you look at companies the way CEOs and entrepreneurs do as takeover targets, then there's a lot more value in this market than you might think than if you only looked at a spreadsheet. Don't get me wrong. 
On an earnings basis, stocks have definitely come too far. But in the real world, there's much more than one way to value a company. The cost of buying all the shares, not just a percent of the shares like a regular money manager would. And right now, merger potential is driving this market as much as anything else. Let's take some calls. First, let's go to Alex in California. Alex. Hello, Dr. Kramer. How are you? At sunny West Los Angeles, booyah to ya. Not that far from you, at least on the same coast. What's up? Uh, Jim, I have a, a question about your long-term outlook on a leading pure play fiber octave uh, technology company. The company reported last week uh, price went down 25% on China and data center weakness. So now it has a PE of 7, as in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Their stock right. is Oclaro, O-C-L-R. What do you think? Uh, well, I'll tell you, I, I, I was on that call, and that was a huge miss. And I think that when you have a miss like that, what you have to do is you have to wait, as I said in the book, Real Money, you have to wait three months. You can't just go in there betting that it's done because this could be the first of what could be many really bad quarters. I'm going to take a pass on that one. How about Bill in Florida? Bill. Hello. Thank you so much for all those long hours you dedicate to help us be financially independent. Thanks to you, I've been able to provide a quality of life to my family. How are you doing? Well, then I did good. Then I did good. Let me try to help further. What's going on? Yeah, I know you like Southwest, but I was wondering – what do you think about Alaska Airlines and the Virgin America deal? You know, people are not liking that deal. I mean, I thought it looked like a good one, but this company is no longer uh, mis- uh, making its numbers as it has time. And again, this company was by clockwork and not anymore. We're going to stick with Southwest, symbol LUV, even as the whole group seems to be coming down. James and Georgia, James. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. This is James from Atlanta. Um, listen, How are I- you? I'm great. How about yourself? Well, you know, I'm looking at the Falcons and starting to really scratch my head. Not sure what's going on. You and me both, buddy. You and me both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, I wanted to get your take on Stamps.com, ticker symbol STMP. They had an early well, beat last week, you. but, yeah, the stock got hammered last <laughs> week. So I'm a little curious as to if it's uh, All right, James, we have looked hold. at this. Our staff has looked at this repeatedly, and we come back with the same thing, which is this is really hard to value. Why? Because it's been a gigantic short squeeze, and we don't mess with those kind of battlegrounds. All right, don't let the skeptics distract you. When you look at companies as takeover targets, as enterprises, in essence, there's a lot more value in the market than you'd think. On a very special Mad Money from CNBC One Market, Salesforce and Google just announced a revolutionary partnership shaking up the whole cloud race. Will their combined power create a force to be reckoned with? And what's it mean for the stocks? Forget the Justice League. I'm talking with the superheroes of this high-profile alliance from Salesforce Dreamforce Conference and Wonder Woman's involved. Then PayPal added a verb to the English language, as in, just Venmo me. I haven't been Venmo lately, but we're going to find out what that means. The innovator of a cashless society keeps capitalizing on our digital independence. I think the place has got a lot more price to go. Stay tuned to find out more. And sure, the tech bull market is a sight to behold. But is it time to shift your focus to companies like Boeing, Caterpillar, and, I don't know, boring Illinois Toolworks? I'll tell you if the industrial bull market is still going strong. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Every year I like to come out to San Francisco at around this time because this is when Salesforce.com, the big software as a service company, practically invented cloud computing, holds its annual Dreamforce conference. Kind of like a tech pilgrimage for all who want to show their wares, strut their stuff, and most important, learn. And look, Salesforce has been on fire recently. I mean, today it raises fiscal 2019 revenue guidance, and the company continues to grow like a weed. Management's executing fabulously. And that's why the stock has rallied almost 50% year-to-date, less than two bucks off its all-time highs. Earlier today, I was able to sit down with Mark Benioff, the visionary co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Salesforce.com, find out more about the big ideas we'll hear at Dreamforce and what they mean for the future of his company. Take a look. Mark? <laughs> I see some big characters behind us. I see Einstein. Yes, I don't want to get Einstein. ahead of the narrative. But when I came out a couple years ago, I thought that Einstein Jim. was just a, a, a puppet. We're all getting smarter. It's okay, AI. Is that, what, is that what Dreamforce is about this year? What's our theme this year? Dreamforce is about one thing, which is taking these really complex technologies like AI, but making them so easy to use that we can all get access to them, that every company can be part of the fourth industrial revolution, and that every company and every individual can become a trailblazer. Okay. That's what Dreamforce is all about. Uh, uh, Mark, and you see that over and over Mark, again here. The majority of people who are watching the show hear fourth industrial. They don't even know about the third. So maybe <laughs> you ought to be a little bit more, uh, well, let's say, uh, less jargony. Well, you, we all know we are in an incredible time for technology yes. and artificial intelligence, autonomous vehicles, quantum computing, nanotechnology, CRISPR in genetics. All these technologies are hitting us at once. Right. And that's the fourth industrial revolution. The question is, what are we going to do with all of these technologies? And look, there's a threat here, which is, is it creating more inequality? Is it dividing us? Well, in some cases it is. Is it disconnecting us? Or are we going to use this technology to raise ourselves up and create more equality, be more connected, and be more united? And that's why people are at Dreamforce. They're here to come together and and to get empowered and enabled. We have 170,000 registered to be here today and 10 million online. How many people might learn how to code and therefore be able to be part of the fourth industrial revolution? Well, I think that we have to make it so that people don't have to code, but they can do clicks, not code, that they can configure. And that's what our platform is all about. We're creating a massive Salesforce economy with millions of jobs because people can go right to our Trailhead platform. You've seen that at trailhead.com. Learn how to use these technologies, change their careers, and get on this train and go with us. Why do you, at $10 billion, foresee $20 billion? The reason I say that is because there are a lot of companies that never got to $2 billion, yeah. right? Because you taught me that that is really the hardest. But why even set that goal up? I mean, most guys under-promise to over-deliver. Why do you promise when it's kind of taking your life in your own hands? Well, you've got to shoot for the stars. Okay. You know, if you're going to go somewhere, you've got to figure out exactly where you're going. We've become the fastest software company ever to $10 billion, and we want to be the fastest ever to 20 And we're working our hardest to do that. And I'll tell you what's driving it, which is this huge transformation going on for so many of our customers. They have to connect with their customers in a whole new way. Now, uh, there are other companies, for instance, say SAP and Oracle. They would prefer you not to get to $20 billion. How can you out- outsmart companies, a German company, brilliant leadership? 
Larry Ellison. I mean, he taught you. How can you beat your teacher? Well, you can just see that our customers are going so much faster than the customers who are using these old technologies from companies like Oracle and SAP. Our customers can go just faster. It's easier to use. And like we just mentioned, you don't have to be a programmer to get going. Right. And big companies are here. Like, you know, Adidas is here. They've completely transformed the entire business of sport. And they've done it on the Salesforce platform. And Fox is here. Oh, Fox is here. They're rebuilding how they build media. They're informing their creatives with data. We're going to show that at our keynote today at 3 o'clock. It's going to be amazing. People will not believe what can happen today in a movie studio, modern movie studio, but, connecting with their customers in new ways. But that may be the division that Disney wants, perhaps because they are more they, in touch? Well, all of News Corp we've been working on. Fox is a critical component. But what part of media doesn't need to connect with their customers it's more smartly? And you can do it today with data. We've been talking about this, Jim, yes. for years, right? right? With the cloud, well, with could, social, with mobile, and now with AI. Right. All of these technologies coming together give you, as a CEO, the ability to do things with your company that would never before was possible. And that's why we have these great CEOs here to talk about it. Now, Mark, it is, uh, used to be just Veterans Day, but there are a lot of Veterans, veterans Week. I understand that the VA has tried to figure out how to get in touch with its people and that they're using Salesforce. Let's talk about two things. Okay. One is every veteran deserves world-class customer service, the same kind of customer service that you get from a great company like Adidas. Right. You're going to get through the VA because the VA has signed on to let Salesforce transform their customer experience, their customer is the veteran. And two, we're trying to give veterans incredible new jobs. We have our whole Veterans Force initiative where we're retraining veterans using our platform so they can get jobs in our customers and have these amazing new careers. Really important for us as well. When you see a resume these days, I see resumes and they hit my desk and it says trained in Salesforce. Ever think that would happen? I can't believe that the Salesforce economy is happening. You know, 3.3 million jobs by 2022, almost a trillion dollars into the global economy. That's the Salesforce economy. It's all coming out of the platform. You just go to trailhead.com. You can learn how to use all of this stuff. And we bring you along. Come to our conferences, not just here, but all over the world. We're going to make sure you're part of the revolution and that you don't get left behind. How are you? Uh, you taught me. Social, mobile, cloud, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Where's your social? Well, social is the very fabric of how Salesforce works. Our whole platform is built on a social media model inside Salesforce. So when you're building applications on Salesforce, like how Home Depot has, it's all integrated in a social media type framework. But we also let you connect to those external social networks as well, like Facebook and Twitter and others, and bring that data into your company and talk to your customers on those platforms. We've been speaking with Ducati, and one of the amazing things that they explained... The connected motorcycle. Right, the connected motorcycle, which is something Built I never... on Salesforce. Right, and, <laughs> and, and the connected motorcycle versus the non-connected. The connected motorcycle is something that millennials want. They just presume that you have it. The people who don't have it don't have the millennials. How important is it to try to reach the customer before they have made up their mind about what brand they want to choose? Well, your greatest opportunity for your customer is your last customer. And that's the reality. You want to have a community, and all of your customers are on a journey with you. You could be on a retention journey with a customer. You could be on a get back into our business journey. You could just be on a renewal journey. You've got to map those journeys out. And Ducati's doing a brilliant, brilliant um, 
uh, onboarding of their customers with this new connected bike. They know you've bought the bike, you're joining their community, they're going to have that deep relationship with you. That's so powerful. That's what Marriott is doing also. They realize loyalty is dead. They want to have this huge community of hundreds of millions of consumers map out where they are on their journeys and get all those consumers into those Marriott hotels, walk in, have a great experience, have your key right on your phone, and welcome back to Marriott. That's a customer experience. That doesn't sound like just a loyalty program. Loyalty is dead. <laughs> dead. <laughs> okay. It Keep is. that thought. Because all right. it's all about your community. Isn't that right. how you buy anyway from your friends? Yes. Don't you want to join a community and be part of a community? When I yeah. think about community, I think about strategic partners. I think about large companies that have figured this out. I'm thinking about a new strategic partnership that you're going to announce today. Who is it? Well, you're going to see us do amazing new things with Google. With so, Google. Google and sales. But Amazon is your partner. We have a phenomenal relationship with Amazon, with Dell, what with Cisco, have, and now with Google as well. They're fine with that? Look, our, our whole industry is all about companies working together to satisfy customer needs. And we have many partners who, we need many partners so that we can satisfy all the needs of our customers. All right, Mark Benioff, founder, chairman, and CEO. Jim, thank you for coming to San Francisco, by the done. way. We're thrilled to I'm be here with done. you. Salesforce.com. <laughs> oh, more to great. come? All right. All right. Today's Salesforce had some exciting news. The company's teaming up with Google to help customers become more productive and offer greater insights across their businesses. I had the opportunity to sit down exclusively with Salesforce's Mark Benioff and two terrific Google executives, Diane Green, the CEO of Google Cloud, and Sridhar Ramaswamy. He is the Senior Vice President of Ads and Commerce at Google. Let's jump right in. Mark, in all the years I've been following Salesforce, it seems like that this may be the most groundbreaking partnership. I was waiting for it to happen. It's happening now. Explain it to us. Well, we have some great partnerships. You know that, Jim, Amazon, IBM, Cisco. But this is an incredible moment in Salesforce history. We have a phenomenal relationship unfolding here with Google. And we have two amazing Google executives with Sridhar and Diane. Sridhar, who runs Google's largest at business, their advertising business. Accelerating revenue from this last Unbelievable quarter. what's happening there. And Diane, who's on the Google board but runs Google Cloud, the founder of VMware, a hero, one of my personal heroes for almost three decades. Incredible. And now Salesforce and Google are coming together for the very first time. It's the best of both worlds. I couldn't be more excited. Diane, why does Google need Salesforce? Well... Look, Google, Google loves to partner, Google Cloud loves to partner, and Salesforce uh, is, is going to, you know, the two together do for customers what's not possible apart, of course. And uh, we're also, you know, integrating G Suite with Salesforce and, and giving a really nice way for people to adopt it super easily. And what we hear from our customers when they uh, go to G Suite, it, it really transforms their culture. They get more productive. They get more collaborative. And so when we can integrate that with all of Salesforce's products, uh, then all of that productivity goes to all of Salesforce's customers. And we think it's like a tremendous thing. And then to do it on Google Cloud, it can't get any better. Okay, please give us a sense of how you get in touch with the consumer using Salesforce, because you've already been, I felt, the best at being in touch with the consumer. Is this another level? 
So this partnership addresses the number one request that we have from our customers. Our customers want a holistic view, a total view across Salesforce's CRM systems and analytics where all the website action takes place. This is really a first of its kind integration that brings all of that information together so you can do better things. You can send a better email for marketing. You can show better ads um, and you can gain better insights and give them better offers when they come into your store, both online and offline. It's these multiple aspects that make this partnership really exciting for us. Well, Diane, a lot of times when I hear about uh, Google Web Services, what I always think is, well, you know what, you have to beat Amazon Web Services. Yet Amazon's a great customer of Marks and vice versa. Why doesn't that, when suddenly he's Switzerland, why doesn't that bother you? Well, I can't say I was happy that he announced AWS before he announced us, of course. See? But, <laughs> but that's okay. The People... history of our industry is companies working well together. I mean, Wait, Diane knows that. Well, working well with you? Well, look, I at, look when Diane was the CEO of VMware, I mean, sure. she had relationships with everybody. And I, mean, I thought that's Amazon what made was going to VMware and turned out they're great partners. Look, we all have to work together for the benefit of our customers. And I think that what Sridhar said and what Diane said is evidence that this is the full power of Google right, right. here. This right. isn't just one product or one product yeah. line. This is about information. This is about advertising. This is about analytics. This is about productivity. And this is about the power of Google Cloud. United with the power of Salesforce, we have to bring both companies together in this very, very smart way. Now, I know and a dream of yours is to be the biggest web services. This helps this does it move the quantum? Does it move the needle? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I do. I dream of being number one. I think it's possible. Uh, we're making unbelievable progress. And I think having one of the world's largest SaaS vendors running on our you know, core services on our cloud uh, really underscores how, just how enterprise ready we are. Okay. Uh, yeah. I've got to ask you, the numbers that we saw last quarter, great in the United States, unbelievable in Europe. What is happening in advertising in Europe? So, we've always focused on ads being very relevant. The great thing about Google search, for example, is we always put the consumer first. We want to deliver the best answer to them. And ads are an, are an integral part of that. The more we focus on user quality, the better results we get. So we feel like this is a continuation of a deep set of principles that we've always operated on. And mobile, of course, has been, has been an amazing strength. And what we're really excited about in this partnership is something like this has the potential to turn the notch up a little bit more, to deliver even better ads, to deliver better insights for our customers and better experiences for our consumers. We're no, super excited. Well, Sridhar really said it beautifully because, of course, you look to Google, you see this incredible world of information, you see the advertising, but you also get Google Analytics. And Google Analytics, coupled with Salesforce's sales and service and marketing, means that both of our customers are going to have customer insights that they've never had before. That, that is really exciting. I have always felt that Amazon has held itself out as someone who understands what you want before you want it. Is that going to be Google's mantra? I think Google understands uh, a, a, a good amount of uh, what a customer is after. I mean, I, I pretty much focus on the enterprise and... and well, honestly, the power of Google comes because when you think of something that you want, 
what do you do? Of course, you Google it. It's really being at that right moment um, that lets you show that amazing ad that actually makes the sale happen. Um, that's why advertising continues to be super relevant, both for the user and for our top line. It's really the best of both worlds for us. I, I struggle to try to explain to people, uh, first of all, to have you guys on cameras, just thank you so much. But what it means, I, I think, is, is it Captain America? Is it the Avengers? Is it uh, Superman teaming up with Batman? I'm not kidding. Wonder because Woman. <laughs> Wonder Woman, I think that that is... There you go, gender equality, I am way too narrow in my thinking. Yeah, we've got to pay men and women the same for Salesforce. Let's do this, talk about this. You did that, you looked at the lineup, you figured it out. That's a key theme here as well, the conference. I'm glad she mentioned that. Well, I mean, when we see... uh, Let's talk about the advertising queue. How much do the advertisers need Google in in terms of the direct-to-consumer? Because one of the things I have seen... All in every booth I go to, it's about being sure that the uh, intermediate, it's no more B2B, B2C. It's like you are getting in touch via Google. You can Google, I want the best earth moving machine, and Caterpillar's there. I mean, how did this happen? You used to have to go to a dealer, they disintermediate you from the customer. You guys changed that. And it's always there with full availability, no latency, just instantly. It's amazing what Google Cloud can do. You focus on the core <laughs> consumer need. You look at what do they want to see when they say that query to you, when they type that query in. It's that relentless focus on getting you the right piece of information that you're looking for. Now, do you, what happened to print? It, does TV work? I mean, I am with these consumer product companies, and they are taking 35, 45, 55% of their budgets going to you and to Facebook. I mean, this is happening. This is not glacial. This is happening quarter to quarter to quarter. So the results must be the proof. Yeah, are happy well, with our results. <laughs> I mean, no, really, Diane, something happened here. Something well, ha- well, something's happening here at Dreamforce, that's for sure. Well, it, 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 the world has changed. Younger people do well, not te- buy their things the way that we did. I mean, no, it's well, incredible well, what's we all, we all see that technology is changing our world, and, and we see a lot of ways to make it change our world for the better. And we have to do this collaboratively with the entire world. It's, it's, uh, and you like him, too, don't you? Yeah, well, he's, he does a good job for yeah. the world. You see that? She's one of my heroes. Oh, so is Sridhar, too. Of, I mean, these are leaders of our so industry. You guys are all our heroes, and it's a really big deal. And I, thank you so much. I mean, not to, I mean, I've been begging her to come on. I never thought I'd get you. I mean, it's just a windfall. Oh, by the way, thank you for making it happen, Mark. Well, Jim, welcome to Dreamforce, and thanks for being in San Francisco. <laughs> Mark, I hope that you'll come back and Mark, spend more time. Back every year. Mark Benny, a founder, chairman, CEO of Salesforce. Diane Green, senior vice president, Google Cloud. CEO of Google Cloud. Oh, C- <laughs> CEO. CEO. <laughs> Someone's going to get fired. For no, just kidding. Uh, and then Sridhar Ramaswamy, who is this? Who is the head of ads commerce at Google? Because I'm not making that mistake again. Thank you very much, Noel. <laughs> Stay with Kroger. After years of what I call benign neglect by Wall Street, PayPal's finally getting the credit it deserves. This stock has become the superstar of the payments bull market, which is why it's up nearly 90% for 2017. And I don't think it's done. The reason is very simple. PayPal's doing incredibly well. 
Last month, the company reported a blowout quarter, thanks in part to the strength of their mobile offerings, including Venmo, by the way, the popular mobile payment service that saw its volumes increase by a staggering 93%. Stunning. No wonder PayPal's been getting the love lately. It should have been much earlier, but better late than never. So I'm thrilled here to see in San Francisco Dan Schulman, who is the terrific CEO of PayPal, find out more about how his company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Schulman, welcome back to May of Money. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. This call, this quarter, yeah. was the quarter I think people are starting to recognize that it is a network effect, that you are no longer out there by yourself. It's an ecosystem. It's been that way for a while, but why are people finally starting to recognize it? I think two things are happening. One, our results are very strong. Like you said, our revenues were up 22% to $3.24 billion. Our non-GAAP EPS grew 31% to $0.46. Cents. Our cash flow, $840 million in the quarter, up 36%. But the stat that I think caught the most attention was our net new subscribers, $8.2 million in the quarter, up 90%. So those results are are strong and good. But I think the other thing people are seeing now is that digital payments is exploding. Cash, checks are beginning to dissipate. Mm -hmm. People are moving to mobile, as you mentioned. And so I think we're at the early innings of a digital explosion in all parts of our lives. And digital payments is a part of that. There's a joy to this conference call and a joy to what you talk about. This is payments processing, but you talk about how people like the digital experience is that versus say credit card check whatever because what's clear is it's the millennials in particular they like this process how's that possible well i think if you think about the under 30 generation the millennial generation gen tech as i Mm -hmm. call them they grew up with a screen in front of them and so they think about everyday processes like payments differently than you and i do the public Private boundaries are different than what you and I grew up with. So for Venmo, they put a tag or an emoji on every one of their payments. It's really not a P2P service. It's a social payments experience. And they love doing it. They open the app just to see what their friends are doing. And so it's very different. And you have to, to serve these markets, reimagine how money can be managed and moved because there's going to be more change in the next five years in financial services than happened in the past 30. But I want to emphasize people at home, and you and I have talked about this, you are still saying, listen, Venmo is too precious necessarily to start monetizing, but it's in the plan. Uh, And I think what matters is that's your style. I mean, you're not trying to uh, you're not trying to take three cents per. You're trying to get it so everybody uses Venmo. And I think that that's part of the joy is, is that as more people get in it, more people discover how much better it is than what we currently use. Yeah. But I think what we're trying to do is build a enduring company, right. a great company over the long term. And so to me, that's really about understanding the needs of every segment of the market. And really being very careful to deliver a delightful experience to them. You know, we did a major change about a year ago where we opened up our platform, you know, and truly became a third-party platform and offered customer full transparency in the way that they pay. And that flipped our whole business model to enable us, as you mentioned earlier, to partner with the whole ecosystem. And I knew that was right for the medium and long term. 
for PayPal, and it happened to be right for the short term as well. But if you're going to build a great company over the long run, you have to be a consumer or a customer champion. And that's what we're trying to do. Not something that's short term, right. but enduring over the long term. Well, I think it's got some people spooked because uh, people say to me, Jim, you love PayPal, but uh, come on, at 89 billion, I mean, Visa, I understand, 254 billion, uh, MasterCard, I understand, 150. How do you get 89? I come back and say, you sound like people who said, what is Amazon doing being worth 50 billion? Right. What they didn't realize was that it's possible, even, you know, it could be worldwide one day. What people don't get is that this is conceivably the Amazon of payments, which, by the way, doesn't mean they hate Visa. It's not you guys. It's not MasterCard. It's not Wells Fargo. It's not. These are all part of your ecosystem. Everybody knows they have to do business with you because everybody wants your clients. And you guys are, are, are agnostic. Absolutely. We're truly a third party, neutral platform, open services. We partner with Visa, MasterCard, Discover, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Citi, Wells, Facebook, Google, Baidu, China Union Pay. So across the world, we're partnering. And the thing that I would say is that we are at the very beginning of this digital payments explosion. P2P or person to person payments today is like 35 to 40 billion dollars. In five years or so, that's supposed to go up to 335 billion. Online digital payments today are about three trillion dollars. By 2020, three years from now, it's supposed to be over eight trillion dollars. Gigantic. And we're a leader in that market right now. And um, with 218 million people using the platform. So we just got to keep delivering on what customers want, merchants want, and uh, to stay that market leader. But we're at the very early innings of a uh, digital revolution. I know we're out of time, but I'm not going to pass this opportunity because it is Veterans Week and we're going yeah. to West Point. You, you've done a remarkable job hiring veterans. And if you could just tell people why you do that, I think yeah. it's pretty simple. Well, the veterans who serve our country uh, deserve a tremendous amount of respect from all of us. They are leaders. They know what it means to be uh, teamwork, uh, to work with each other. They work under incredibly stressful situations. And we have an affinity group at uh, PayPal, an employee affinity group called Serve. And that is a support group for all the veterans. We go reach out. We actively want to hire veterans. Um, they have incredible leadership skill sets, and we recognize that and want to hire more. All right. Thank you for everything you do. Congratulations on all your success. Thank That's you so Dan Schulman, the president and CEO of PayPal. And you know what? This stock is so not done going higher. Man, buddy's back there. It is time. It's time for the light round. Kramer's man money. That's where you call Robert Franklin. I say, it's time to buy, 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 buy. You know the call stock later. You know you play the sound. And then the light round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the light round. Kramer's man. Start with Roger in Maine. Roger. Booyah, Jim. Roger from Bitterfield, Maine. Jim, I bought into lumber liquidators just prior to their second quarter report, which was very good. I sold some and held some. Considering the third quarter was not as good, is it time to take the remainder and sell it? Or Yes, and I'd rather put you that money in Home Depot. I think that's a much better situation. Let's ring the register and go. I want to talk to Douglas in California. Douglas. Thanks for taking my call. Is it clear sailing ahead or dire straits for my stock? A-Y-I, Cutie Brand. 
No, it, it's not dire straits. It's just unexciting straits. I think that this is one to be avoided at this point. It's down 28%. We're going to have tax laws selling between here and your end. Jacob in Florida. Jacob. Hey, Jim. This is Jacob from Florida State. I just had a quick question on if I should buy Go the trade desk. T- yes, sir. Go Knowles. The trade desk. Ticker symbol TTD. I know. We keep waffling on this one because I keep thinking that somehow Amazon, Google, someone's going to wipe them out. In the meantime, they just keep doing great. Up 136%. I think it's up too high, but you're on your own. Barbara in New York. Barbara. Oh, come on. Barbara. Thanks, Jim, for taking my call. I appreciate all the advice that we get from you. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. My question is ADP. Should I hold it or sell it? Um, I think it's up on a lot of the uh, hype that uh, Bill Ackman is saying about what it could be worth, what it's not worth. To me, it is an overvalued stock at this point because it's run so much. I would like you to ring the register on half of it. Mike in Florida, Mike. (laughs) Mike, what's up there? Well, I got someone speaking in tongues. Maybe we take another call. What do we do? All right, let's go to Joshua in New York. Joshua. Mad Jim Booyah, my friend. This company's company's technology may help your buddy David Faber look a little bit more like Pena. They just put up a great quarter raised estimates. Talking about Universal Display Corp. Too late to buy or is it just warming up? I have been behind this company now. I mean, people hate me for liking this company. Hate me. They hate me for being right. It's not done going higher. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. With all the hoopla over the tech bull market, We can't forget that the industrial bull market continues to stampede all over the place every single day, including today. What's moving the industrials? Let's start with aerospace, which is one of the most powerful bull phases I can ever recall. Aerospace has always been considered a very cyclical, up-and-down industry with tremendous highs and miserable lows. In particular, I've seen Boeing stock hit highs and then set lows within a two-year time frame. Not this time, though. There's just too much demand for planes which is why Boeing is capable of sustaining this fabulous multi-year move. Same with Honeywell and United Technologies, two old-line industrials, which have developed new technologies to make engines lighter and make planes more connected. Of course, there's much more to both of these companies than just aerospace. United Tech has an incredibly strong heating, ventilation, and air conditioning business, while Honeywell is a fantastic automobile turbocharger franchise. Then consider the surge you're seeing in the capital equipment space, as represented by the amazing run in the stock of Caterpillar. I've learned out here at Dreamforce that part of the strength is about the direct-to-consumer business that Cat's built away from its fantastic dealer network. I think that gives them a competitive edge versus their peers. And while it's only a fraction the size of Caterpillar, you've got to be impressed with the numbers coming out of Manitowoc's crane business. Here's a company that's written off as a casualty of the industrial slowdown, but now there's no slowdown. There's an acceleration. That's how Manitowoc's stock has rallied 70% this year, and it's probably not done going higher. That was a single-digit, low-midget stock. Or how about Illinois Toolworks, ITW? Not that long ago, this company saw its stock fall dramatically. 
because it worries about its auto business, one of its business lines. But there's so much more to Illinois Tool Works than that. We've got fasteners, welding, all within the context of learning its customers' needs. Of course, when it turned out that auto sales were stronger than expected, the stock took off. Although I would argue that it should never have been down in the first place. Then there's Deere. Here's another company that we thought was cyclical, a total hit or miss, depending on where we were in the agriculture cycle. But now that Deere's cut tremendous costs, and at least one or two of its markets worldwide always seems to be surging, you don't get the same boom and bust activity that we're so used to. Instead, you get that kind of steady line you see from the drug companies. Finally, you've got Cummins, which got slammed after reporting a top and bottom line beat because of pressures on its margins and some quality issues. They explained the issues well in the conference call. But more importantly, they told you that many of their businesses are up more than 20% year over year. Name me a drug or food company that's got that kind of growth. It's hard to believe that after its pseudo disappointment, Cummins stock is still just about eight points off its 52-week high. But it, too, is part of the industrial bull market that no longer lets up. So a miss on margins and a miss on quality doesn't matter. And the reason these stocks keep roaring, because of the synchronized economic acceleration worldwide. It keeps taking people by surprise. I don't know why. Shouldn't we have learned by now? Since few can remember ever seeing this kind of global recovery, a true rising tide that's lifting all industrial boats. Stick with Kramer. Remember, I told you after Facebook reported its remarkable quarter that what you had to do was wait a few days for the insider selling window to open and then close. And then you had to do some buying because it was an amazing quarter and the stock will start heading up to 200 where it deserves to be. That process now started already. I think the stock of Facebook may be the cheapest big cap tech company there is. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer and I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.